Hello listeners and welcome back to a slightly belated episode of the Plus Dave podcast this week. We are of course the Tottenham Hotspur theme show brought to you by a team of Spurs fans and a Leeds fan called Dave. Sometimes people say that good things come to those who wait. Unfortunately, whoever came up with that particular phrase probably didn't support Spurs because after three games, we are sitting here feeling quite aggrieved for a number of reasons. It's not been a good week and a half for Spurs. We've just witnessed potentially one of the most outrageous VAR decisions that I've seen in a long time in front of the watching eyes of none other than Mr. Pedro Mendes of all people. And to help me go through my rage today is uh, just one guest. We don't have Dave as much as he would love to be here and laugh at us. It is just Elio joining me this week for what will potentially be a slightly shorter episode, but that does depend on Elio and his angry rants. Elio, how's your voice? How's your blood pressure? Are you going to be okay? Are you going to make it through this episode? You mean that's not the whole episode? We're not done yet? I'm afraid not. We have to be professionals. We've got to talk about this. We've got to talk about Man United and we've got to talk about Newcastle. And we've got to talk about how Bournemouth are going to be. Professional. I wasn't aware you were paying me for this. (laughs) Yeah, professional might not be the right word, but we're serious. We're here for the good times and the bad times and they're, they're bad times, aren't they? Well, unlike most of Twitter, we are here for the good times and Mm. the bad times. And unfortunately, this has been a pretty bad seven days in the life of a Spurs fan. Yeah. Uh, are we going to round it up in one or are we going to go game by game in excruciating I mean, we, detail? We kind of have to because I think there are a lot of themes running through the team at the moment that apply in equal measure or at least to some degree to all three of these games. It is actually Wednesday night. We have just watched that game, of course, so it's all fresh in our minds. And if you're not sure what we're referring to, we're referring to the 95th minute winner from Harry Kane against mm. Sporting in the Champions League. For the life of me, and I think Elio's on the same page here, we can't work out quite why it was ruled out. But probably no better place to start than that. We normally go through in chronological order, but we'll come to the Man United and Newcastle games in just a moment. Mm. But but first of all, just that goal earlier, let's come straight to it. Let's work backwards today. Can you see any reason why that's not allowed? Can you see any justification for this VAR? It's just a nonsense, isn't it? I mean, the rule says that if the player is further forward than the ball and the penultimate defender, assuming the goal is further back when the ball yeah. is played, then he is offside. That is the rule. But there are various things that mitigate that rule and two of them were on display there. The main one being that the ball was headed backwards. You cannot be offside Hmm. from a pass that is played backwards. Otherwise, you would never, ever, ever see a cutback cross being tapped in on a counter-attack. You cannot be offside when the ball is played backwards and the ball travels backwards from Emerson's head. Uh, The second thing is that after the ball is played backwards when Harry Kane is offside... It comes off the defender. It comes off the defender towards Harry Kane who is still offside but can't be offside from a pass from a sporting defender unless the referee suddenly thinks that the sporting defender is wearing Spurs colours I don't know I guarantee you that that would have not been found offside for a non-English side that was found offside because we're English UEFA are f***ing corrupt I'm all about the Super League you know what sign up tomorrow Fuck more. And you know what? I hope they get their referees out of all the local prisons because they'll still be less dishonest than these wankers. 
Listeners, it's probably a good time to tell you that I did tell Elio to try and hold back on his swearing before this episode began, but I knew that would fall on deaf ears. I'm, uh, I'm not stupid. And, and to be fair, there's ever a time to use such languages now. Um, Elio, I, I share your frustration and I think it's an absolutely ridiculous decision. I'm sure Arsenal fans will delight in trying to explain why it was actually not a goal and whatever. But good you know what? Who cares? Enjoy it's Thursday a- nights in Europa League, you fucking <laughs> knuckle dragon cuts. <laughs> the, the thing is, I mean, clear and obvious error. I mean, it's not even, it's another issue together and we could talk about VAR for the whole hour and it looks like we're going to at this rate but let's not because it's boring let's just say it's ridiculous and the worst part of it is we deserved it I mean look we weren't great all game we'll talk about that there were definitely large periods of the first half in particular where we were pretty bad but that last half an hour was so exciting and it built up so perfectly to that it was such a great moment stolen from us stolen from football I mean to sit there for what another five minutes and just wait for a decision to take all the intensity out of the moment I know we can point back to the Man City game in the Champions League and say it works in our favour and all of that blah 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 but when it's that close to kill a moment like that it's just it's anti-football it's just ridiculous anyway anyway should we talk about the game because I mean we probably on balance deserve to get something out of it I think it's fair to say it wasn't our best performance we weren't brilliant but second half was definitely better than the first wasn't it I mean we started okay we were fairly bright I thought even though there was a bit of openness at the back we looked more likely to take the lead early on but Mm. similarly to Newcastle the other day the opposition got a goal a very good goal but a goal against Against the run run of of play. play And also, once again, owing to a goalkeeping mistake, we're working backwards. Okay. So we'll obviously talk about Lloris in more detail when we get onto the middle yeah. of the three matches. But yeah, Lloris goes down in stages for that. You think and so? that, that's strange, actually, because one thing I've never worried about Lloris with is long shots. But mm. I, I worry about him parrying long shots straight into the path of someone, but I don't worry about him stopping them in the first place. So that was strange. Mm. Uh, also watching Marcus Edwards and just thinking... <laughs> how we could do with you Jesus yeah. uh, what yeah. a lovely little player and we could have had him for nothing because he was ours so yeah. thank you for giving up on youth despite it being the thing that got you success in the first place <laughs> Pochettino I say that's almost reason enough not to ever bring him back, not but, to bring him back. but yeah uh, lovely little run lovely goal from Edwards and, and then we just played really poorly we had no way through them we were maybe lucky not to concede again because they broke forward a couple of times as well and Apart from apart from Benton Core, every single player I would have happily subbed at halftime from yeah. goalkeeper to centre forwards. Second half, different story. We came out a hell of a lot brighter. We started sort of ten yards further up the pitch, and once again, obviously, we got breached a couple of times because of the high line, but at least we were winning the ball high up and making attack the best form of defence and we did it really well and by the time we did get our equaliser we thoroughly deserved it um, it was alright it was another corner we're, we're becoming <laughs> we're a little bit yeah we, we're, yeah we are becoming Burnley a little Son bit and Kane. Uh, well, uh, frustrating our inability. Son wasn't well, yeah. really playing, was he? I was going to say, Son, what the f***? This isn't Son. This is an imposter. He he went off on his summer holidays to Korea and they sent someone else back. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'm not sure what I'm watching right now, but I, yeah. yeah, no, Son doesn't deserve to be in the team right now. And frankly, uh, if he doesn't up the performances soon, I'm going to begin to worry that he's hit 30 and is past mm. his sell by date, which isn't meant to be the case with the modern footballer. Maybe it actually still is when they're not called Messi and Ronaldo. But yeah, but, an- another uh, one to get onto. I think I'm going to try my best to keep some kind of structure on this. Otherwise, we're just going to get drawn 
into discussions about all of mm. our underperforming players and there are a few of them unfortunately to get through a few players worth commending as well and you mentioned Bentinger as one who I think has been a shining light in probably all three of those games in uh, mm. in spells anyway but the, the worrying thing is for the second game running now we conceded and just kind of panicked not panicked but we just kind of went into a shell a little bit and forgot how to play mm. football for a sustained period of time and yeah we got back into it a little bit in the Newcastle game we, we found some form and in this game obviously eventually we looked good and probably should have won it but what do you think that is because I feel like in the past it's been the opposite a goal has spurred us on what's going on I, I don't know um, same manager? players as last season the, the only thing I can think is that our sparkling form in the second half of last season was when we were playing one game a week and Conte isn't very good at using a squad therefore he's run the players into the grounds combined with the extra condensed fixture list because of the fake World Cup coming up combined with the shorter pre-season I just feel like our mm. players they look like they're running on fumes before the match even starts now what I would say is that there are other teams in the exact same situation who don't so yeah, I think it comes down to use of the squad as much as anything else. I mean, and the problem is that when those players are getting their very sporadic chances, they're really not looking up to it because they've not kicked a football in ages. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I criticised Basuma heavily for the previous two performances and he was rightfully sort of not included today given what he, he served up. But equally, you've got to feel a bit sorry for him when he's expected to come in and look like his best self off the back of very, very little football. So I think this comes down to the manager a little bit. Yes, there's mm. also the fact that a lot of players are not hitting the heights they did previously there's the fact that in Kulusevsky one of our sort of best performers has been frustratingly injured since before the Arsenal game something he picked up in international duty but I just don't understand how the same group of players plus reinforcements is Mm. this much worse I can understand that there are mitigating factors which may mean they're not performing at the same extent but the amount they've dipped beneath beyond where they were is is really bemusing, really frustrating. Mm. And the nature of football is that you can't change a 22-man squad. You can change a manager, which is why managers are rotated as much as they are. I'm not saying that's what I want to happen, but the Bucks does stop with him. And right now he's the one that needs to figure out how to reverse it because end of the day, he's the one that's tasked with getting the best out of the squad at his disposal. And he hasn't Mm. done all season and it's catching up with us now. Yeah, maybe make subs a bit sooner as well to get those players up to speed and give the others a rest, right? You mentioned Kudasevsky there. We've joked in the past about us being the Harry Kane team, the Gareth Bale team, whatever it is, you know, and it can't be that much of a coincidence that ever since Kudasevsky's been out of our lineup, we look a completely different team. I know that there are 11 players on the pitch and obviously a lot of them are very talented and we've not always had him, but do you think that this is a big part of why we're playing the way we are and why we're struggling to control games? The fact that Kudasevsky is not in the team. I mean, we weren't playing great with him in the team, but what he did Mm. give us was genuine creative output. What he did give us was the actual ability to carry the ball, do something unpredictable and pick the right pass. And I feel like he's the only player in our squad that does, apart from maybe Kane, but unfortunately Kane can't pass it himself because he's the only (laughs) player in the squad that does regularly pick the right pass, um, at least out of the attacking contingent, because I think Benton, Curran, Hoybeck are doing fine in that respect this season, but they're obviously more reserved players. Mm. Son, I mean, Son just can't pass. It's amazing that someone who's control the ball. sort of 12, 13 years playing top level European football can't actually pass a football, yeah. but Son can't. 
Lucas Moura is a lot of flash and a lot of dash and very little mm. else, unfortunately. But at least he does bring a bit of ball carrying ability. And I thought he showed that in spurts today, but he's clearly not looking very fit. He was at least positive. Brian Hill is a kid. We can't put too much on him. I thought he looked mm. bright when he came on. But Lucas and Kill aren't playing anyway. I mean, what, what we're getting is Emerson, who can't cross... Doherty, who can't cross on on the other side, Setsingen, who definitely can't cross. Uh, Even Perisic, Perisic is not, who, has yeah. now, who has now forgotten how to cross. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just it's just really frustrating. Yeah, we we got to keep the faith and think this is a low point and it won't get worse. But you never know, and I suppose it's always worth doing an autopsy and, and looking at where we can improve. And I think the start of that is just to actually focus on the positives because there were positives today. It's easy to get down and think, you know, we would have been in very different spirits if that goal had been allowed to stand. I think because we we really looked good for spells in that last half an hour 35 minutes or so and I, and I think we played some stuff that was very encouraging and I think Brian Hill looks good I think Benson Kerr was brilliant for the whole game but especially in that period and he deserved his goal there's some positives to take from today yeah I mean there's positives to take from today if Conte decides to go with those positives uh, because if he doesn't then it's just more waste of potential and more lack of meritocracy so positive take from today Brian Hill came on and yes end product isn't quite there Mm. but actually he's a lot of fun isn't he He's fun. He's good to watch. He gets the crowds going, which helps the players a lot. And he gets defenders unnerved and guessing and uncertain what's going to happen. So Brian Hill, massive positive to take from today. Problem is, we know he's not going to be on the starting lineup on Mm. Saturday. We know that Son's going to be rewarded for yet another rubbish performance by still being in the team. But Brian Hill, definitely positive. Benton Core. Best player at the club on current form. Right now, if you had to tell me to choose whether we sold him or Son, I would choose Son. If you asked me whether I wanted to sell him or Kane, I'd have to think about it for a few minutes. Um, Benton Core is an absolute joy to watch. He's what a midfielder should be. He takes responsibility. He makes interceptions. He makes tackles. He charges forward with the ball. He makes good forward incisive passes. And yeah, he gives the ball away a little bit as well. But by and large, he is what I want to see in midfielder. I want to see midfielders take responsibility. Hoiberg does too, but I think he's got less ability than Benton Core. So it doesn't catch the eye quite as much. But I'd say he continues to be one of our better players this season. So Benton Core in Hill those are positives Harry Mm. Kane at least showed us that he only needs one good chance in a match to finish unfortunately when UEFA doesn't want the English team to win the goal doesn't get given but he showed us that other than that, I don't really think there are any others. The defence were all awful. Both wing backs were awful. Goalkeeper was awful. Son, Lucas were awful. So <laughs> <laughs> there's so. a lot of awful in there. Just on Benzema, there's a nice quote here from Twitter that I think you shared, Elio, from Charlie Parrish, just saying Spurs are a bit of a misery right now. This was before today, by the way, but it mm. still stands. Spurs are a bit of a misery right now, but would like to publicly commend Rodrigo Benzema for being wonderful. World Cup blooming, and he's full blooding every tackle and driving us forward with those elegant slaloming runs, all while Conte bellows at him for 90 minutes love him there you go pretty much echoing what you've been saying so i think he's one of the few bright sparks at the moment hopefully he can inspire a few of our players well let's continue the inquest player by player at the moment we talked about son our not insignificant u.s contingents of listeners will not be happy to hear that you compared him to clint dempsey earlier and i can assure you that was in no way a compliment to son i know we've made a bit of a joke here about the fact we're always going off on son and then he proves us wrong and he got that hat trick against leicester and we all thought he was back but it's just not working for him at the moment, is it? Do you think that we're worsting with him in the team? And do you think it's time to give him a prolonged period out of the starting 11? Honestly. Or at least when Kulusevsky's fit. I'll do it from do now. 
I don't for now. He's playing badly. He's not being played mm. on any kind of current form. He got the hat trick against Leicester. Great. Mm. I mean, that just says he's better off the bench at the moment yeah. to me. What, and what the has he done? goals as well. I mean, he did well in the Champions League, but okay. other than that, two games in what? 12? He's just, he's embarrassing himself at this point mm. and he's being done no favours by being kept in the team. Son has been a very, very good player for us and potentially will be again, but right now he's a very, very bad player for us. I think the thing that gets me with Son is the guy clearly has so much technique just to be able to strike the ball the way he does. Mm. And yet, if you don't give him the ball with several yards of space in front of him, he's just unable to do anything I mean listen I don't expect everyone to be Harry Kane with their back to goal but his ability to actually link play in any way when his back is to goal for a guy of his experience and he's not a small guy either especially playing more centrally as he has been recently he needs to be able to do that there's one point in the match where he got the ball he wasn't in space he was sort of slightly on the half turn near the touchline and immediately he got himself sort of crowded out. He wasn't crowded out when he got the ball, but he became crowded out very quickly. Son Mm. has become that player that finds the dead end, that finds the blind alley every single time he has the ball. And that is that is a low confidence player to start with that that I've seen it so many times. But that's also a player that actually isn't aware of what the hell's going on around him in the match. And it's really frustrating to watch. And it's up to the manager to either drop him or if he really wants to keep Son in the team, find a way to mitigate Son's weaknesses and maximise his strengths. Because right now, Son's strengths aren't being played to because we can't bloody get the ball behind any backline right now because they've figured out yeah. our counter-attack. And mm. his weaknesses have a big old magnifying glass on them. We'll get on to talk about the Bournemouth game in a little while and I'll, I'll ask you to give me your team for it. So have a think about that. But before we do, I sort of carry on the inquest. I want to go through our players one by one. And Eric Dyer is somebody who we've praised a lot on this show. We've never really had a bad word to say about him since we started doing this, but I think his form is, is dropping off a little bit. He's made a couple of mistakes. Could have had a hat trick today, incidentally. He had a lot of big chances, a couple of headers just over and that lovely volley on the turn. But mm. he's not the same player at the moment, is he? I know that could be said about a lot of our team pretty much ever since he was back at the England squad, which I'm not saying is necessarily correlated, but are you a bit worried about Eric Dyer right now? I mean, Eric Dyer is probably putting in the same performance that he has continuously. It's just that right now, as a collective, the team seems to have a lot more chances to deal with. And that means that someone who's okay a lot of the time, but if he's asked to constantly defend mistakes pop up, is mm. being shown up for it. Yeah, I think that's probably thing. true of a lot of centre-backs in world football. The best Eric Dyer has ever looked for us was when we were at the height of Pochettino's time. When we time. had 65% possession every game, for one thing. Exactly. We had 65% yeah. possession every game. We had uh, a team that con- high line and we controlled the ball. Eric Dyer is, like Son, currently playing a team that seems geared to expose his weaknesses. And to add on to that, what I'd say is that the two centre-backs either side of him are playing just as poorly. 
and yep. it's not as fashionable to call out Romero as it is to call out Eric Dyer because everyone loves how blood and thunder Romero is and the runs he goes on and, and all that but he has been absolute dross lately and people grimace when Sanchez got in the side ahead of him the other day because he was injured while yep. Sanchez probably played better that match than Romero has in the previous few anyway so uh, I'm not going to call out Eric Dyer without calling out the rest of the defence too and to tell you the truth last season that second half season especially Everything just seems a bit more in sync and this season it doesn't. It's hard not to think about the World Cup coming up so soon and I don't want to accuse the players of being unprofessional or having their priorities but I'm sure most of them will be prioritising the World Cup. I know that's not who pays their wages but you Mm. know how it is. It's obviously a huge thing for some of these players playing for big teams that have a real chance and who knows when they'll get another chance. It's hard not to think that maybe they're pulling out a little bit of tackles, maybe not really giving it 100%, maybe even subconsciously. Maybe it's just one of those things in the same way as if you're playing a worse opposition or you're playing in a cup game and you're not really that into it. You don't really bring your A game but who knows. One man who definitely will be going to the World Cup and will be hoping to lift it is another man I want to talk about who if we take it right back to the Man United game despite us losing 2-0 was a candidate for man of the match and that's Hugo Lloris who was outstanding in that game but has had a couple of weird moments since hasn't he a few hairy decisions including the goal against Newcastle and today he had a couple of moments of madness he's getting on a bit we've talked about having to replace him the narrative is shifting on Hugo Lloris at the moment and I want to get your thoughts I mean even when he's had bad spells in the past, I've always defended him. I've always said he's world-class, but goalkeepers have these spells where things just seem to go wrong for them. It's always London buses with goalkeepers as well. They never just have one mistake and then a 10-game run. They seem to have a mistake and more yeah. than any other position, their confidence yeah. goes a bit. And they plays make a on few, their mind, doesn't games. it? Yeah. Exactly. Um, mm. And he's always pulled himself back from it before. I'm finding it harder to defend him at the moment just because... The mistakes he's making, I'm beginning to think, come on, Hugo, we've mm. been here before, you're 35 years old, you've been ours and your country's captain since most of our supporters online didn't even support us because we were finishing sixth, not top three or four. And yeah. I just grimace. I mean, today's one, okay, he goes down in stages a little bit for the Edwards shot, but yeah, you can almost forgive blunder, that. was it? It, was just a, it wasn't a blunder, but it was, yeah. I think, poor anyway. By his standards, it was poor. Mm. Um, but when he's meant to have some of the best reactions go, and in isolation, I wouldn't even blink at it. But then looking at the mistakes against Newcastle, don't get me wrong I think he was absolutely fouled for the first goal against Newcastle oh 100% and we'll talk about that in a minute I I can't see how that wasn't a foul however he was still absolutely mad rushing off to a ball that was never going to be outright his in the first place so he created the situation he created the panic and then on the second one at his near post like that I mean it's the other end of the ground for me and I I don't watch uh, highlights when we lose because I'm just too pissed (laughs) off um I I, I haven't watched a match of the day after a loss probably since I was a child. Um, mm. Maybe the last time I watched a match of the day after a loss was when we lost 4-5 at home to Arsenal in that crazy game in 2004, I think it was. Um, I have to say, looking at the analytics of our listeners to these podcasts, I think a lot of our listeners take a similar approach to listening to us. So I, I can't imagine there are many of you <laughs> listening right now. So whoever's here, thanks. You're you're the hardcore <laughs> fan, so I really appreciate it. And uh, I'm right. sure there are one or two Arsenal fans who have logged in just to listen to us and laugh at us but anyway um, but I I just think like a mistake like that he's not playing with his head at the moment and Mm. that's worrying when you're as experienced as he is so 
I do think the issue of Hugo's succession plan is becoming more and more pressing because the older he gets, the more it's going to creep in. Credit where it's due, though. I mean, we'll be singing his praises again at some point. I'm sure he'll have a great game, but it's not enough if it's every two or three games, I suppose. But Mm. he was outstanding against Man United, it has to be said. And I think were it not for him, if we'd had an average keeper in goal on another day, it could have been four or five. Ironically, the goals had an element of fortune in both of them, but I think Rashford had a few really good chances that you should have done better with let's take it back to that game we kind of started on the Newcastle game but I'm jumping all over the place this is what Spurs have done to me earlier they're throwing me through a loop and I don't even know what's up and what's down anymore but uh, let's go back to that Man United game we talked about it before we hate Old Trafford mm. we we talked about Pedro Mendes whose face showed up on BT Sport again today and there's always something but it wasn't really controversial this time was it it was pretty much a case of the better team won they probably played their best game of the season we played arguably our worst game of the season it was a bit of both and probably a fair result and a fair reflection of the play oh, yeah, it absolutely was there's not really too much more to say on that tell you the truth yeah. they were better than us man for man all over the pitch they deserved the win we really didn't show up they absolutely did and looking at players on the pitch I feel like the teams are relatively evenly matched but yeah, they, they, they really more. did outplay us and they wanted it more and I'm sorry I'm, I'm taking jibes at our manager at the moment I know that yeah. loads of people would be like who are you to criticise serial title winning Antonio Conte I can't help but look at Man United under Ten Hag after a quarter of a season Chelsea under Graham Potter after just a few games and think mm. with the right setup and the right coaching it doesn't take that much time to get footballers playing well if they have ability i believe our players have ability and they are not currently playing well and even a little thing like and we even saw it within the match today second half when we Mm. played a higher line all of a sudden our football got better because we were winning the ball higher up the pitch Mm. the opposition weren't quite as settled in formation when we got on the ball and we were able to actually do something with it and create opportunities i mean it's the most simple tweak in football and but you know we won't apply it from the start in the next game or in any no we won't it's going to be back to this sort of the mid block they call it so Mm. i think the football hipsters do um and (laughs) i just i just get really frustrated because conte has players available to play better football than they are playing currently and because he's so risk averse and i don't he wasn't this risk averse last season which is why i'm so bemused because he's so risk averse we're turning out this turgid wank every game at the moment and it's it's really beginning to grate on me just feels stubborn doesn't it i mean it doesn't help that he didn't make a single sub until i think the 82nd minute in that game i mean you could have said that maybe he'd almost given up by that point and thought okay this game's done but even then, why not bring people on just to rotate things and freshen things up and at least mm. show that you tried? You know, if you make a load of subs and you gamble and you change things up and you lose, I think the fans will be more accepting of it. It's just this kind of stubborn resistance that is making it more frustrating. And that's the problem with the way we play. It's really fragile because we've said it before, haven't we? If you're playing lovely football mm. and you lose, you don't mind as much because you can at least, you know, after a while it gets annoying. But with this kind of football, yeah, there's good sides to it. And we saw some of that today, but it's really difficult to forgive when the results aren't there isn't it it's when the results aren't there combined with when the performances are this passive Mm. it's not we don't play good football and therefore i'm upset with loss it's we're playing specifically bad football and i'm upset with loss and the reason it's specifically bad is because everything is just so slow when we have the ball and everything our players always seem second best when we don't have the ball and yeah 
And like I said, a simple tweak, like not conceding three quarters of the pitch from the first minute, I think would make mm. so much difference. I just, I can live with the style even when things aren't going well, if we're actually implementing it in a proactive way. Mm. And that's what we're not doing at all yeah. at the moment. And earlier on this season, I was saying... asking teams to beat us now. Well, yeah. And earlier on this season, I was saying, well, getting into a rhythm, getting familiarity, it'll come, mm. it'll come. But we're now well into the season and we're at a point where you've got to think, actually, it should be coming now because yeah. the players know each other, they know each other's runs by now. So I don't have the solution. If I did, then I'd be the one earning 15 million a year or whatever it is Conto's on. <laughs> Do you agree with those that suggest that there is a part of it that's him not having been backed enough and maybe not having all of the players that he wants? I know every manager can say that. Every manager can throw their toys at the pram and say, I want world-class players in every position. But do you think maybe he wasn't given enough to work with or do you think you can't use that excuse at this point? Of course you can't Given use the scale excuse. of the task and what he I mean, would have known he was walking into. In the summer, Conte was saying he was happy with the business we'd done. Yeah. Now he's saying he doesn't have the players to rotate. Mm. rubbish stop making excuses stop deflecting take some responsibility mm. at the end of the day we went and signed one of his sort of trusted favorite general types from inter on a free on yeah. only a two-year contract but when does levy sign anybody at 33 years old yeah but exactly he went into that for conte we couldn't get by all accounts a first choice left center back option so he went and got in a very experienced very champions league season top level experienced player in long to come in at least on loan and at least hold the fort went and got in richarlison for a hell of a lot of money 50 million uh, yeah. you can't complain if you're spending that much money on a player yeah, especially in a player that's not necessarily first choice. Mm. So he went and got in Richarlison, went and got Basuma, who any neutral would say was not yeah. definitely, but arguably the best midfielder outside of the big clubs well, last every season. Every other team's fan I've spoken to has said how jealous they are that we got Basuma, or at least did at the time. Exactly. So, and then, okay, there's a player that Conte deems as a club signing for the future yeah. in Spence. Spence. Well, yeah. Fine, you have to accept that if you get most of what you want, but not all of what you want, at least you've got most of what you want. So, no, we made good signings. We backed the manager, and the manager should be using the players better than he is. That, yeah. That's the final word on that, really. Let's talk a bit more about the Newcastle game. I know we're jumping back and mm. forth a little bit, and we did start on and we talked about the goals. Obviously, there was the, the first goal. You think there was a foul on Loris? I want to ask a couple of things. First of all, Talk to me about that because I wasn't convinced there was. And, and like you say, it, it is kind of besides the point. You've got to be asking why our keeper is giving the referee that decision to make in the first place. And that's a separate issue. But also, I think it's another incident where Eric Dyer is arguably at fault. And maybe he should have played to the whistle and ran back on the line. I think it was pretty yep. obvious what was going to happen if he didn't. Do you, do you agree with that? I agree that Dyer should have run back to the line and played to the whistle. 100%. Mm -hmm. uh, that was uh, an error on his part. I still think it was absolutely foul. At the end of the yeah. day, Hugo gets there and the ball ricochets back out and Wilson puts his arms and holds Lloris back before running to hoop the ball over. I mean, yeah. It's not just that they bumped into each other in a 50-50. Wilson actually puts his arms on Hugo and restrains him and runs to get the ball. If that mm. happened the other way around, it would 100% be a foul against the goalkeeper. If the goalkeeper didn't touch the ball because Wilson hadn't touched the ball at this point. So if the goalkeeper didn't touch the ball and put his arms on the player and stops him getting to the ball, yeah. 
then got to the ball. A free kick would 100% be given. If a defender puts yeah. his arm on the attacker... So I think that's th- what they said in the commentary, actually. I think somebody made the same point. I'll give you this, Elliot. It was absolutely more of an infringement than whatever Kane and Emerson allegedly conspired to do today to have their goal ruled and out. And further so. to that, further to that as well, actually, still looking at that goal, that goal came about from yet another ball that, from the right-hand side going towards the left, that breached our defence fairly, fairly simply. And that was the second or third time that had happened that game. So that was already a tactic Newcastle were using, getting the ball sort of slightly right of centre and that curved pass in behind. It was a really Mm. simple ball, but they were really hurting us with it every single time. Now, in that situation, especially when you've got the three-man midfield, not the two-man midfield, this is where I'm going to get frustrated with Basuma. He's playing that role. Why is he nowhere near the guy trying to pass the ball? He's meant to be there to Mm. win the ball. Why is he nowhere near the guy trying to stop that ball going across? Maybe it wasn't his job. Maybe it was Benton Coors or Hoiberg's. Either way, you've got three midfielders there. Why is none of them closing down that pass before it happens? Why are they nowhere near it? Because that was that happened a few times. Once it happens the first time, they should be on the lookout of it. Once it happens the second time of it, they should think, okay, this is clearly a tactic. Let's not let this happen again for the rest of the match happened so easily and that was another reason why that goal was scored I think the second goal is arguably just as if not even more worrying because excellent season though Miguel Almiron is actually having you don't want to see him successively make a bitch out of three of your players one after the other he basically bullied Cessna off the ball turned Longley inside out like Messi to Jerome Boateng all those years ago in the Champions League and then on the near post like you said earlier Loris really needs to be doing better and that's just three mistakes in a row and it's just sloppy and it's not what we've come to expect from this team we can criticize the fact that we don't punish teams when they're sitting Mm. back and maybe we lack a bit of invention and there's the odd mistake but that was a little bit of a shambles that one wasn't it it was i can live with the fact that almiron could turn long lay inside out because he's a small tricky player Longley's a big, slowish player. I can live with that. I'd yeah. rather Longley positioned himself better to stop that happening in the first place and read the ball a bit but better. He's a confident player but in form. He did well. Sometimes you think, I mean, why is Almer on, on the pitch if he's not able to do that? So sometimes mm. you applaud sort of a good bit of skill. Loris already hammered him on that. Don't need to hammer <laughs> him again. Yeah, Sessignon, I'm sorry, but what is his point on a football pitch? What does Sessignon mm. do? He's not a player. Honestly, the last good thing I remember him doing is crossing for Doherty against Leeds last season. I'm, I'm sure he's, he's done good things since then, but that's the only thing that stands out for me. He got the goal against Southampton oh, the opening this season. day, yeah. The opening yeah. day he scored, didn't uh, he? Yeah, but it's, but what, it's what, not enough. It's not enough, is what it? What does Sessignon do? He is a poor man's Andy Sinton or Clive <laughs> Wilson or any number of rubbish left-sided players that we had in the 90s. He's got a lick of pace, but absolutely no trick to be able to beat a guy. He has absolutely no will to properly be able to stop someone when he's defending like he doesn't use his body in the slightest he just watches and applauds as they fucking waltz past him and uh, i know he gave us all these lovely instagram photos of him beefing up in the gym over the summer Mm. still looks weak as a fucking kitten i reckon i could fart on him and he'd fall over muscled by almiron i think you need to lift more weights mate to be honest with you yeah Um, so so no really he he's not a player he's been playing top flight football with us with fulham then he had his sort of breakout season at 17 with Fulham when he scored all those goals in the lower division by this point you've been a high level professional for a good half a decade I don't care if you're still young it's enough time for you to get the basics right Mm. and worst part of all is the guy cannot cross for Toffee 
He, I, yeah. I just that's the one thing we need him to be able to do. If, if anything, you've got you're a left footed player who can't use your left foot. Great. Bring back Danny Rose. I say, Elio. How was Danny Rose that's these like, days? That's like me saying I'm a hundred meter runner, but I run out of breath after the first five meters. Yeah, exactly. It's just there's no point in him, and I'm fed up of him. Well, one man who has been pretty consistent this season is Mr. Vio, who has been, I guess, at least indirectly responsible for now eight goals from corners, which is just <laughs> frankly ridiculous. I noticed today actually they kept on trying the same corner. It was really close to the keeper, obviously just trying to get someone to just get a head on it and knock it onto the back post for that stooping goal for Kane, which which is exactly what we saw to pull it back against Newcastle. And again, like today, I think there were flashes of exciting football on the break, particularly early on. I, I watched the highlights again earlier just to remind myself because obviously it feels mm. like a lifetime ago. And it was the three-minute video, very short highlights. And, and it was about a minute and a half before Newcastle had the ball in the highlights. It was all us until the goal. Much like today, it changed everything. But we played some really nice stuff. And again, I'm trying to focus on the positives here. And I don't want to be too doom and gloom because we've seen the 90s. It's been worse. You know, let's let's try and remind some of the younger fans here that this is bad, but it is a blip. And there are signs that if we do this a bit more consistently against the likes of Bournemouth, who are our next game, we, we can play some mm. good football. It wasn't horrible from start to finish against Newcastle, was it? It wasn't horrible from start to finish, no. It was a good opening and a passable closing, but... It was mm. absolutely dreadful for the majority in between. It's the way they mm. wilted. The, it's that lack of character. It's that it's that lack of any kind of moral fibre that, that really kind of... They're just so mentally weak. It's like, this is it with Spurs. The more things change, the more they stay the same. I mean, it doesn't matter who the players are, who the manager is. We just always have this soft underbelly yeah. and it's so tiring. I just... You know what? I missed that first season on the Pochettino where we didn't play particularly good football, but we had a few sort of standout games like the win over Chelsea, but generally we were pretty humdrum. I think a lot of people glamorise it with Pochettino. That was amazing from the start. Second season was great. Third season was incredible. Fourth season was pretty good too. The first season was glimpses of what he was trying to evolve, but amidst a lot of mediocrity in the middle, and we kind of stumbled into fifth by the end of it. But to tell you the truth... I was also watching a young Ryan Mason, a young Carl Walker, young Danny Rose, um, mm. Kane breaking through, Andros Townsend, Nasser Chadley absolutely fighting for everything. Eric Dyer, obviously, as well. And yeah. those players really showing hunger and, and vigour. And now I'm just watching a bunch of prima donnas who think they've arrived when, mm. let's look at the trophy hall, boys. Like all the Arsenal Twitter artists like trophy. to say, yeah. what a trophy. Yeah, what a trophy. Like, yeah exactly. Serious, I, I'm just, there's just a cancer in this club. And a lot of people will go back and say, oh, it's the board. They're the ones that have been consistent through this. Well, they've thrown enough money at it. They've tried enough. Mm. Yeah, maybe they're part of the problem but what is it Tottenham DNA <laughs> unfortunately uh, we are a club of losers <laughs> I, I don't know if any of our listeners have devised a drinking game for the plus day podcast but I imagine one of the rules would be you must drink the entire time that Elio is reminiscing wistfully about the Pochettino days because that does happen quite a lot and in fact maybe we missed a trick not including Maurizio Pochettino as our centre-back <laughs> for our rent-free team because he, he does come up a lot of quite a lot for someone who no longer manages us and hasn't in quite a long time um, you know what I miss I just miss football being fun and even yeah. though when well, we we're winning that. and when we score we had that for half an hour today that was fun 
I think that was fun. And had that it goal was. been allowed to stand, we'd have been in a vastly different mood. And that's football, right? That's why we love it. That's why we hate it. Yeah, but-, but do you know what makes football fun? It's not just the quality of play. It's not just the great passing. It's not just the off-the-seat stuff. It's yeah. feeling an affinity with the players. Yes. And being behind Burnley were in the Premier Knowing League. that they want to win as much and- as you want them to win. Exactly. And Burnley were playing horrible football, but they had an affinity with their players and they loved them and had an affinity with their managers and they loved him. And you know what? I just, since Pochettino went, this is why I'm always wistful about the Pochettino years because you know what? Well, yeah. In the Pochettino years, especially for the middle few, and I wanted Pochettino gone by the time he went, I really wish I could go back in time and slap myself for ever thinking that because to tell you the Mm. truth, they should have persisted with him through a lean patch and given him another rebuild. But through those years, I had an affinity with the team. I I really, really did because I saw these young, hungry players and this young, hungry manager fighting for everything for us. I'm not saying I take him back, by the way, because I have a feeling his stars faded a bit more than we realised. But back then, I had a feeling... Before that, under Harry Redknapp, it was fun. Gareth Bale, Aaron Lennon, you loved these players. Ledley King playing with one knee. Even <laughs> William Gallas absolutely shattered after that but first that, the thing win is, we, the were, we were on the up. That's the, you, you've got to put it into perspective. It's always relative to what you've seen in the previous few seasons, right? That was better than what we'd seen. Pochettino was better than that still. And we, we reached heights. Okay, yes, we didn't win anything, I know. But we're not at the same heights that we were. In terms of the way we play, in terms of where we've got getting to, and in terms of putting pressure on the top. And and do you know when it was most fun? Do you know when it was most fun? The two the years under Martin Yoll. No, the yeah. two years under no, Martin right. Yoll. You're right. Yeah, that was fun. Martin Yoll made, and next time you chat to my cousin, and uh, next time we have him on this, I'm sure he will say this is what really made him understand. That was probably what made him understand what being a football fan should feel like. And to tell you the truth, I'm six, seven years older than him, so even at that age, it probably was the first time I understood what it meant to actually be proud of a football team too. And yeah. right now, I'm not proud of this team at all. I'm not. Pr- you know, Harry Kane. I, l- I love him. He's one of my favourite ever players. I think he's. I know. I know he's the best Spurs player I've ever seen with my own eyes. Or maybe between him and Bale. But in terms of what he's done for us, probably yep. him. But I don't feel pride when I watch him now. I don't feel pride when I watch Son. I don't. I don't feel pride when I watch any of these guys because they just don't seem to give what I give as a fan. Yeah, that's what it comes down to, isn't it? I mean, even if they're pretending, you just want to feel like they're in it with you. Yeah, you want to have a connection. You want to have yeah. a connection. Fo- that's what football should be. It should be about connecting yeah. with what you're watching. It's yeah. it's not just a form of entertainment. It's not just it's not like if I just want entertainment, I'll go to the theatre. It'll cost less money than Spurs does. I tell you that much. If I do that every weekend for half the year, but I, I, it's not just about the spectacle. It's not just about the entertainment. It's about the immersion. It's about yeah. it's about that connection. And even when things are going well at the moment, you just don't feel that connection Mm. anymore and maybe we're getting old maybe we're growing out of it i don't believe that for a Mm. second i see people twice my age at the grounds who under pochettino were almost in tears at times um the grown man next to me keith he looked exactly the same in 2017 as he did in 1997 when i got my first season (laughs) ticket somehow about he's about my dad's age potentially a touch younger um he can remember the double team and all that he used Mm. to go drinking in pubs that the players used to go in after the match and all that kind of thing and 
And that last game at White Hart Lane, the, the win over Manchester United, we'd gone unbeaten all season at home. We'd finished seconds and we'd yeah. won every game bar two as well. I think the two draws against Liverpool and Everton. And there was tears in his eyes at yeah. that Spurs side on that final day. And so I don't believe it's an age thing. I don't think I'm getting old and grumpy. I think <laughs> that the club are Just not grumpy. giving me... <laughs> Just grumpy. Yeah. The club yeah. are not giving me a reason yeah. to love yeah. them right now. No, we, we need a few I more keys in the crowd, I think. And I don't want them to give me a reason to love them because I'm giving them all this money. I don't mm. want them to give me a reason to love them because I need to be pampered with glitzy football They're nothing time. without the likes of you. I mean, it sounds melodramatic, but it's true. Football, Footballers exactly. and, their, and that, their entire being is nothing without the fans. It's a cliche, why, but it's true. Exactly. And that's why I want them to give me a reason to love them because I do it anyway unconditionally. So therefore, <laughs> I want I want it to come back to me yeah. in the form of a bit of fight and a bit of care and a bit of aggression. And it, it's just not, and it hasn't done for, well, since mm. the date when Pochettino lost his job. <laughs> Absolutely. That was all really well put, and I'm always really interested to hear your thoughts on this. And I think sometimes it does take the dark times to really bring out the soul of your football supporting life. And that's what you want to hear. And I think there are a lot of people that will probably relate to what you're saying right now. And maybe we're being a touch melodramatic in the moment. And what we love about football is that a week could go by and we could be thinking very differently about it, right? How many times were we well, talking in these terms last season and then suddenly we had a couple of good wins? And, and and that's, that's how it is. But no, absolutely stand with everything you're saying. The good news in all this is that we're still third in the league. Okay, if games in hand are won by teams around us, could drop down to fourth. But we're still yep. in the Champions League places. We're still going strong. All right, we, we know we're not going to win the title. But as long as we finish top four, we know that's a good league season. And yep. in a week's time, when we play Marseille, we'll still be top of our Champions League group going into the yep. final match of our group. Now, the only way we do not qualify for the next round of the Champions League is if Marseille beat us. Because underneath us, Porto yeah. and Frankfurt have a point less than us each so yeah. only one of them could finish above us if we get a draw basically yeah. if we lose are we out if we lose then almost definitely yeah. because yeah a draw would put sporting above yeah. us guaranteed yeah. on the head-to-heads it's and very a possible. win for either side puts them above us we need one point away to the bottom team in the group who yeah. are the team that we probably played our best game in the group against in the first match so you'd hope that we do it however only needing a point to go through and going in top of the group is exactly the recipe required for Spurs to disappoint us all, as we know. So, <laughs> come so on, let's, let's try and stay positive. Eh? Come on, I, I know this is. I feel like the few listeners that actually made the effort to tune in this week are so depressed that they're wondering how much more they can take. Um, speaking of things that were depressing, and, and you being shortchanged of your hard-earned time and money, the Newcastle game was, I believe, the shortest ever game technically in the Premier League because of some mm. absolutely outrageous time wasting. Apparently. Nick Pope took 11 minutes to take a total of eight goal kicks and was rightly booked. But I mean, at a certain point, you should be getting a red card for that kind of time. That should, have, that should have been his second booking. Um, but not Absolutely. just him. Newcastle players all over the pitch were I mean, doing. I mean, he wouldn't have done it if he was on a booking. He's probably smarter than that. But it's not the point. It's just ridic- it's not it's not acceptable, is it? You want to go and watch and a it- football match. I understood, rubbish why, anyway. I understood all, and Eddie, Eddie Howe did do the dark arts with Bournemouth as well. And I understood it when it was Bournemouth because they're a little club with cheaper, less able players. And fair enough, you've got to do what you've got to do to try and stay in the league. He's yep. just spent 200 million this summer on this <laughs> Newcastle side. A Cinderella story. Yeah, yeah a Cinderella story, my fat, hairy ass. Um, <laughs> Nick Pope should have been sent off. Yep. Yeah. And. 
that ref is an absolute mug for taking as long as he did to book him. That should have been a booking in the 40th minute at the latest. Then it wouldn't have happened again all match. It was an absolute disgrace. But same way that we got screwed by bad officiating tonight, we got screwed by bad yeah. officiating there with a goal that shouldn't have been given and a goalkeeper who was allowed to stay on the pitch and get away with bloody murder. Well, I'll tell you this, Elio, if he's doing that for England in extra time in a knockout game of the World Cup, I will be applauding him and I make no apologies for that. But that's just football, isn't it? That win for Newcastle actually puts them right behind us and the league is actually tightening up a bit. It's not quite the championship where every team is within about seven points of each other, but there are a lot of teams crawling up behind us and obviously a couple pulling away ahead of us. So we are in third, as you rightly say, Newcastle just behind. Chelsea could actually overtake us if they win Mm. their game in hand whenever that is. Uh, Man United could draw level, although will almost definitely be behind us on goal difference but breathing down our necks Arsenal dropped some points at least you know it's not it's not all bad and Chelsea and Man United drew which was pretty much the ideal result for us but I think what I'm trying to say is it could have been worse it feels like it couldn't but it could have been worse and, and yeah, we're actually you know not what? in a terrible position right now Let me flip only that. so many Ars- times we can say that and we've missed Arsenal an opportunity Arsenal points yeah exactly Arsenal dropped points Chelsea and Man United drew we're at home to a team that we tend to beat when we play that home and we should have given that they finished where they finished last season we finished where we finished and we um, screwed it up we the bed and it's just tiring Ellie I'm trying so hard to raise the tone I'm trying to cheer you up here okay come on work with me a little bit here you know just like you want the players to feel like they want to win I want that from you okay do it for our listeners do it for our loyal listeners that have come all this way they've plugged in their headphones they're listening to us talk about some horrible results and they want to hear why they should even watch our next game why they should carry on supporting Spurs for the rest of the season anybody who has logged in to listen to us is already in too deep exactly (laughs) is already in too deep and has a misery fetish and what I'm doing (laughs) is feeding their misery fetish off the back of these three matches if they are listening to us then the more misery we give them the more they are likely to be touching themselves to the sound of my voice right now so (laughs) I make no apologies Uh, I'm not really sure if I achieved what I wanted to there but it's just taken a really dark turn Uh, so Elio let let me put this to you so let's try and look forward let's try and fix problems and find solutions now Uh, our next game is (laughs) I dare I say it when we should be winning away at Bournemouth who haven't been great this season as as expected Solanke is a big doubt and he's pretty much been their main goal threat with everything we've just seen given that there are a number of players not performing this is a game that albeit an away game is one that we should be dominant in what's your lineup talk me through what you'd be doing if you're the manager now are you changing things up just to make a point you know, who, um, what would you be doing with the team right now? And obviously, injuries and everything permitting. Let's let's say best case scenario, players that we're hoping might be fit are fit. What are you doing with the lineup? I mean, I'm going to still assume that there's no Fraser Forster or Richarlison. <laughs> <laughs> no, stick with Hugo, but yeah. give us a higher line. Let us play on the front foot a bit. That's more important to me than yeah. the formation. Don't concede the majority of the pitch from minute one. Do it if you're protecting a, a lead late on. I can accept that and then yeah. hit teams on the counter because they're leaving spaces in behind. Don't do it from minute one. That's all I ask. I feel like we're playing against a side who are probably doing better than they expected so far this season and generally do try to play a decent brand of football. So can leave a few gaps. I think from our point of view, 
we need to remember that we're Tottenham and they're Bournemouth and go into the game to impose ourselves and win, not to just try and capitalise on their mistakes. And we need to be proactive. Um, In terms of formations, I I want to see us try the four out the back, even though I think Mm. our defence will struggle. It's struggling anyway with the three and Mm. the two wing backs. So let's try and play a game of keep the ball out of our half. And keep the ball high up the pitch so whether it's a 2-3-1 or a 3-3 in midfield and attack I don't mind but take a body out of defense put an extra up there and you know what if you want to have as your security given that you've done that if you want to then play with the career fullbacks rather than the career wingbacks on the flanks and go with Davies and Emerson fine I can live with that and then just give the attackers free reign to bomb but I just I don't think that the three is doing its job at the moment however we're going to see the three I know we are so if we at least play that higher line and that more proactive form of football then I I can live with that and you know I'd much rather lose a game 6-5 than 1-0 yeah that's the Tottenham way right is that what you're going to be doing would you be showing them the video of that 25 minute spell where we actually played a high line and actually went out there and say look you can do this do it again it's that simple this whole football management thing We've got players that can do it. I mean, look at Bentoncourt. Look at the way he can win the ball in any part of the pitch. Look how yeah. well he reads the game. Look at how, really well. how brave he is. Exactly. Mm. Get get him higher up. Get Hoybier higher up. Mm. Like, give Basuma a chance to actually show us why we signed him. I mean, I, I, I don't want us to play such cowardly football. And it wasn't cowardly last season, but it has been cowardly yeah. this season. Is a 1-0 going to be enough for you? I'll take any win when we've just not won in three. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Fair I'm not enough. even concerned about the result. Though. I'm concerned about what the players produce. I'm, I'm, mm. I, I care about the attitude. I, I know that yeah. everyone says, oh, you'd rather play badly and win than play well and lose. Well, you know what? I just want to play well full stop. Yeah, let's start with playing well and then let's work on the winning, shall we? If we win by whatever means possible, I just want to see that it means something to them. I want to see them celebrating. And then, yeah, but the celebration police will come out and say, look at you celebrating beating Bournemouth like you won the World Cup. I want to see that three points mean something to these players if they get those three points, given everything we've just seen. That's what yeah. I'll say. Well, look, we're going to have to wrap things up pretty soon. I think we've squeezed a lot out of a podcast in which we're not going to do Challenge Elio because there's just the two of us. So we'll start thinking about... Uh, ending things off for now but of course we do have that Bournemouth game to look ahead to which we will be talking about and then the following league game is one that's shaping up to be quite tasty which is Liverpool at home I believe which is anyone's to guess how that's going to go I feel like Liverpool right now are basically us this time last year in the sense that they can beat anyone or lose to anyone and and they're just it's all a little bit mental but we're going to be looking ahead to that one hopefully with Dave in tow by then as well and looking back on the Bournemouth game and we're getting close getting close to the end of the first act of the Premier League season the World Cup is getting very close to us and as luck would have it this is our 48th episode and our 50th episode happens to fall after the Liverpool game right before the Leeds game which is needless to say a huge date on the plus day of calendar and will be our last one before we break up for the World Cup it remains to be seen exactly how we're going to approach podcasts during the World Cup but we are planning at least for the time being to carry on and keep releasing episodes for you but yeah it's going to be a special one of the 50th and we've got a few surprises in store for you for that one so jumping the gun by one episode here but you've got that to look forward to so that's your reward for anyone who stayed all the way through this gloom fest 
best. And we always appreciate everyone who tunes in each week, just like we appreciate people who follow us on Twitter. So if you're still listening, if you're here, please, if you haven't already, follow us on Twitter at Plus Dave Podcast. You can follow me at Plus Dave Dags, and you can follow Elio at Elio underscore P underscore THFC. And if you've got as far as doing that, you might as well go follow Dave too at Fantasy Dave. And yeah, between the four accounts, there's there's normally something worth watching and listening to. So please, please do do that. Elio, I'm keen to wrap things up pretty soon because I've already put you through enough torture. I feel like you just want to forget about football for a while. But before we finish things off, any closing thoughts? Um, Just please do better, Spurs. <laughs> just please do better. Yeah. Do you think you're going to be excited when the next game rolls around? Is the wound going to be a little bit healed and you'll be thinking, okay, this could be a good result or are you just going to be dreading it until the moment we actually pull out a good performance? <laughs> yeah, that's kind of how it works. I mean, I guess the one saving grace is the matches are coming thick and fast, so there's a quick opportunity for reprieve, but you could have said that after either of the previous two matches. So <laughs> let's wait and see. Here's a fun fact for you. Mm-hmm. Tonight's referee, yep. Daniel McKelly, right, was the video assistant referee in the 2019 Champions League final, when after Whoa, really? less than a minute, we were given a ludicrous penalty by VAR against us for a handball that wasn't. Mm, that is, I, I don't know if fun is the word, but that is a fact, and that is an interesting fact. I don't know why my mind went to this place, but when you started reading out that sentence, even though this makes no sense because this was years before VAR, I thought you were going to say he was the assistant referee of the Pedro Mendes incident. <laughs> I was going to say, <laughs> now that would be a little bit dodgy. That would be, but no, he was the VAR assistant in that Champions League final. So obviously it was VAR that made the decision tonight, not him, but... Is he pulling his Arsenal shirts on as we speak? (laughs) I don't know. Um, (laughs) I just, I have a very low opinion of UEFA and their selected officials at the moment, even lower than my opinion of the Premier League and their selected officials. Um, (laughs) And that's saying something. And FIFA and their selected World Cup hosts. We'll get onto that (laughs) soon anyway. Uh, Here's a fun fact for you, Elio, since you opened that door. A little very, very miniature challenge, Elio, before we wrap things Mm. up. Taiwo Awani is the second player with... Y-N-W-A, you'll never walk alone, in his surname to score a Premier League goal against Liverpool. Who was the first? Victor Wanyama. <laughs> it was, of course, with an absolute undisputable thunder bastard. So, yeah, yeah, there we go. I wish I could claim that was memory, but I saw the same You've fact seen as it? you. Oh, well, it made me laugh. It was a very, very silly fact. But I like facts like that. Sometimes we take stats a bit too seriously, but I like them like that one. Well, anyway, that's more than enough. And Elio, thank you for putting up with a whole hour of talking about Spurs. I know you always like to talk about Spurs in good times and in bad, but this was a pretty tough one to get through. So let's hope next week we're in better mood and we can talk about a win and we can actually start getting excited about the last few games before the World Cup again. So uh, we hope as many of you as possible possible can join us for that as well thank you to all of you who have been listening you stay classy spurs fans and we'll see you next week